Grace and peace to you friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks and you are listening to The Encyclopedia Challenge. What is The Encyclopedia Challenge you may ask? That's a fantastic question. The Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the encyclopedia to you. Uh, we are reading from two separate encyclopedias. Our main encyclopedia is the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And the second one, um, our, our secondary source, is the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And I want to welcome you to episode 32. Today is September 26th. And for my regular listeners out there, you know that today is the very last day uh, for our monthly quote. And our monthly quote, just as a reminder, is Jim Quick is from Jim Quick's Limitless. So if you haven't read his book yet, um, I highly suggest it. I, I've gotten to uh, start it, um, but not finish it. But it's really, really good. But his quote is, One of my core beliefs is that human potential is one of the only infinite resources we have in the world. Most everything else is finite. But the human mind is the ultimate superpower. There is no limit to our creativity, imagination, determination, or ability to think, reason, or learn. So that is our monthly quote. And today is the last day for Jim Quick's quote from Limitless. And uh, today is, uh, we're going to have a shorter episode. As you can see, I've had to cut it in half. Um, I am still prepping for my move. Um, my water heater went out, uh, and it still has to be painted and just a lot of prep work has to be done. So I stayed up pretty late with my brother, um, not as late as he did, <laughs> uh, the past couple of nights. So, so I've had to cut this in half. Um, hopefully after I'm all moved, um, thing, things will calm down. I will get back into it, uh. But yeah, so let's go ahead and start. If you recall from last week, we st we stopped with afflatus, uh, the word afflatus, and today we are going to begin with the word afflict. Now we are going to stick with the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 today, and uh, as I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of laughing here because my little doggie is snuggling up next to me. She's wanting some love and. We just went outside uh, not too long ago, and she's soaking wet, and it's cold. By the way, whoever you are who turned on that air conditioner um, and the freezer and left just everything running and open, please close them and turn them off. Uh, bring back summer. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's pretty cold out there, and as you can probably tell, my voice is kind of uh, rough. That's uh, the weather change. I'm not sick. It's just the weather change. It does it every year. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started with word number one, and that is afflict, and that is a verb, and it means to distress in some way, to give pain to, either in body or mind, afflicting, afflicted, afflictor, one who, affliction, distress either of body or mind, grief, pain, afflictedly, afflictingly, afflictive, giving pain, painful, afflictively, Synonym of afflict, to pain, grieve, distress, hurt, wound, trouble, torment, harass, 
of affliction, distress, trouble, grief, sorrow, pain, calamity, misfortune, wretchedness, misery, and adversity. And before we get to our second word, which is affluence or affluence, uh, yeah, it's affluence. Um, before we get to that word, I just want to remind everyone last week, uh, which was episode 31, we had a contest. I threw in a bonus word and that bonus word was from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So if you haven't listened uh, to episode 31 yet, uh, go ahead and do so because that bonus word, if you hear it and you send it in to me, uh, you will receive uh, your name put in a hat to receive a book. Uh, my late grandfather's book. Let me see if I could say this right. So listen to episode 31. So season one, episode 31, um, which were words aeronaut through afflatus. And no, the bonus word is not in the list. So if you go to theoaktreejourneys.com and you try to look in the list, the bonus word is not listed there. So just listen to the bonus word and spell it as best as you can. But send me that bonus word with your name um, at either at uh, my email address, theoaktreejourneys at gmail.com or go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. Go to contact and just fill out the little contact form with uh, your information and the word, the bonus word, and your name will be put uh, into a drawing to win a copy of my grandfather's book. And his book is called South Africa, The Long Disputed Land. And it's really good. It is fiction. Uh, so it's a really good book. You can have um, your choice if you win, your choice of the Kindle version or the paperback. And the paperback I will sign. Now, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away and he cannot sign it. Um, but I did write the uh, kind of the editor's note in there and I can sign it for you. Okay, so just wanted to... To bring that up, so again, that is season one, episode thirty-one. Um, if you hear the bonus word, uh, send me the bonus word, and it doesn't have to be spelled perfectly, um, because since I don't have the spelling in there um, listed anywhere. Okay, word number two for today's episode is affluence, which is a verb, and that is concourse, a stream of wealth, abundance of worldly riches, also affluency. Affluent, wealthy, rich in worldly goods. Noun applied to any stream that flows directly into another. Synonym of affluence, wealth, opulence. That's a good word, opulence. Riches, plenty, exuberance, and abundance. And word number three is afflux. Let me make sure that it's... Yeah, afflux. Noun. And it means a flowing to, that which flows to, also a fluxion, which is also a noun. Our fourth word for today is afford, and that is a verb. It means to yield or produce, to be able to bear expenses, to grant, affording, afforded. Note, afford is formed from forth as utter from out and primarily signifies to put forth, to bring forward, to offer as I can afford it don't, no better cheap. Remember, this is 1909. Let me, let me say that again. 
I can forward it, and they're spelling it F-O-R-D-E, so I can forward it no better cheap. That is, I cannot afford it at a cheaper rate. Wedgwood and Hollowell, synonym of afford, to yield, produce, bear, give, impart, allow, supply, in Old English, confer, or grant. And this is a cool word. Our fifth word for today is a forest. So a forest, and that's a verb to turn into forest. A forestation, noun, the turning of ground into forest ground or treating it as such. And with our fifth word, let's go ahead and go to break. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your break. Um, I certainly did. It gave me a chance to catch up on the words here. Um, our sixth word is affray. So that's affray, and it is a noun, and it means a brawl or petty fight, a disturbance, a fray verb in Old English to freeze with fright, to affright, to terrify. Synonym of affray, noun, brawl, scuffle, tumult, disturbance, quarrel, fight, encounter, feud, contest. And I have to say, um, we are getting into October, so next week will be October. And um, I'm really, really excited about October. In fact, um, I always read a book by Stephen King um, called Misery. In October, but this time I read it a little sooner because I was invited to a book club. So if you're listening, Charlie, I forget I said that. Uh, let it be a surprise. Um, but uh, it's an exciting book. I read it just about every year, um, and it just the word "afray," uh, the old English word uh, to freeze with fright, to affright, to terrify, or the old English definition reminds me of that because it is a terrifying book. It really, truly is. If you've never read it, um, the only thing I have a complaint against is his language. And I know a lot of people have a complaint against it. And he just poo-poos them. Uh, poo-poos those complaints. And in fact, there are parts in the book where he just kind of confronts that. Okay, so let's move on to word eight. And, oh, no, I'm sorry, seven. <laughs> I'm skipping one. Um, in fact, our seventh entry is a name. We haven't had a person's name in quite a while. Uh, so we're overdue. And the person's name is uh, pronounced really weird and it's spelled really weird too. You can go to theoaktreejourneys.com for the spellings. But it's Afri, Dennis Augustus, Archbishop of Paris. So Archbishop of Paris, Dennis Augustus Effer. He was born or he lived from 1793 to 1848. At the time of the Restoration, he was professor of theology at the seminary of St. Sulpice, and on account of his prudent and temperate character, was made Archbishop of Paris by the government of Louis Philip in 1840. Though not yielding a blind submission to all the measures of the government, he abstained from all offensive opposition. When Louis... Philippe became an exile and a republic was proclaimed. The archbishop kept aloof from political strife, but had earnest care for the public welfare. 
During the insurrection in Paris in 1848, he climbed upon a barricade in the Piace de Bastille, carrying a green bow in his hand as a messenger of peace. He had scarcely uttered a few words when the insurgents and the troops commenced firing again, and he fell mortally wounded. He died next day, June 27th. He was the author of several theological writings and of a work on Egyptian hieroglyphics. So that's really sad. So he went, he wanted peace, but they shot him down. Our eighth word is affreightment. Affreightment noun, the engagement for taking a freight, the chartering or freighting of a vessel, a freight verb for freight, which see. And that's S-E-E, not S-E-A. Okay, and our ninth word is a friend, a friend. And so uh, remember, I just want a quick note here. Uh, we are only doing 25 words today, uh, not the usual 50. So we are going to take break a little sooner. So after our 10th word, we're going to take another break um, instead of after our 15th word. So our ninth word is a friend. So a friend verb to be in its old English. So a friend is exactly what you would think it would be. It means to become friends, to be reconciled. A friending, a friended, made or become friends. And our tenth word is a fright. A fright, which is a verb. And it means to terrify by sudden fear. And let me tell you, Annie Wilkes for Misery terrifies me to no end. And I love it. <laughs> so fright is a verb and it means to terrify by sudden fear. The noun version means sudden dread, great fear, the cause of fear, affrighting, affrighted, affrightment, noun, the state of being afraid, terror, synonym of affright, verb, to alarm, to intimidate, confound, terrify, daunt, dismay, dispirit, appall, shock, and dishearten. And with that, with a fright, let's go to break. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your break. And uh, we have the 11th word, and it looks like a person's name. However, it's actually a town and it's a freak or freak comma saint or saint a freak. And it is a town of the department of Aveyron in France on the Sorg, a tributary of the Tarn, 31 miles south southeast from Rhodes. It is in a beautiful valley between two mountains and is surrounded by meadows or orchards and vineyards. The streets are broad, but the houses are mostly old and mean. It has, it has wooden and cotton manufactories and tanneries. There is a considerable trade in wool, and a principal article of trade is the celebrated Roquefort cheese made from ewe milk. That's interesting. Chiefly in the mountain pastures around the neighboring village of Roquefort. About 10,000 cheeses are made annually. I wonder if that's changed if they still make cheese. It's probably up quite a bit. Uh, cheese is quite popular, especially in my house. They are kept in cellars by the cheesemongers to ripen. 
This kind of cheese was sent to ancient Rome and is highly praised by Pliny. The population is 6,000. That's definitely got to be higher. <laughs> In my opinion, it must be higher. And uh, before we move on to word 12, I do have uh, some news or, well, lack of news. My Teespring store has not been corrected. Uh, so unfortunately, I will not have a link again uh, this week. Uh, hopefully next week, um, I'll hear something back. But tech support just has not gotten back to me and the website is still glitching. Now I've gotten a few things that I was able to order, um, but I don't want to post anything until the glitch is fixed. Uh, so far, I've gotten a mug and my short sleeve shirt and a long sleeve shirt. I also got a pair of um, workout pants, but I didn't like those. I was not impressed at all. So I took those off the list um, because it just didn't turn out. Either that or I got someone else's. <laughs> And uh, with that, disappointing news, and I'm very sorry, I wanted to have better news, uh, but uh, such is life sometimes. Uh, they will get it fixed, I'm sure, soon. Our twelfth word, moving right along, is affront, and that is a verb, and it means to give cause of offense to, to insult slightly, noun, anything done to offend and outrage, open insult. In Old English, an encounter affronting, affronted, affrontingly, affrontive, tending to affront, abusive, affrontively, adverb, synonym of affront, verb, to insult, outrage, dare, offend, displease, peak, nettle, brave, provoke, defy, of affront, noun, so the synonym for the noun version of affront is insult, outrage, indignity, contumely, disgrace. So there we go. We have affront. Our 13th word is effuse, effuse, which is a verb. It means to pour upon, to sprinkle as with a liquid, effusing, effused, effusion, the act of pouring upon. And our 14th word is affy. Uh, that's an interesting word, affy, and I've never heard of it, and there's a good reason, because it's considered Old English, and I have to say, every time I see O-E in, in the 1909, and I know I've said this before, but every time I see the O-E or Old English, I just want to laugh, because to me, the 1909 is Old English. There are words in here that we don't use, or or the definition has completely changed, um, so, so I just I think it's funny. But affy is a verb, and in Old English, it means to trust in the faith of anyone, to betroth, to join, to confide, to put faith in, affying, affied. Well, that's pretty cool. It's a real little word, A-F-F-Y, and you can see that again at theoaktreejourneys.com. So check out theoaktreejourneys.com for the spellings of these words, and uh, you'll see affy. Our... Fifteenth word before break is Afghan. Afghan, which is a noun, and that is a native or inhabitant of Afghanistan, which our next word is, as you will guess, Afghanistan, and it goes on for pages. Um, so we'll buckle up. 
when we get back from break, buckle up for Afghanistan. Um, but anyway, so Afghan, a native or inhabitant of Afghanistan, adjective pertaining to Afghan or Pukhtu, North Afghan, or Pashtu, South Afghan, is also a modern Iranian dialect spoken by about 3 million people. The Afghan language is divided into two great dialects, the Northern and Southern, the differences between them being mainly phonological. The language has suffered many corruptions, particularly in its vowel system, and also has many foreign loan words, chiefly from the Arabic, Persian, and Indian. And with that, we will go to break, and when we get back, our 16th word will be Afghanistan. And welcome back. As promised, our 16th word is actually a country called Afghanistan. And it's, it is fairly long. Now, remember, this is from 1909, and things have changed quite a bit. Um, and some things may not have changed at all. But uh, let's just uh, read it. It's for 16 uh, in uh, today's episode. Afghanistan, land of the Afghans, occupies most of the east part of the Iranian plateau and includes area 279,000 square miles in the ancient provinces of area Dranginia and part of Arachosia. Afghanistan proper is bounded on the north by the Hindu Kush and its western continuation. East by the Solomon Mountains, south and west by Balochistan and per Persia, the frontiers being ill-defined. But beyond these limits, the authority of the Emir of Kabul has been extended northward so as to include the Khanates in the valley of the Upper Oxus, the region known as Afghan Turkestan. This includes Badakhshan and Wakhan Balk and the other Yuzbeg states of Maimana, Akcha, Ankua, Shabir, Khan, Kunduz, and Kulm. The frontier here is, since 1873, the Upper Oxus to Koja Salim, and thence a line to about Sarix on the Persian boundaries. The delimitation of the northern frontier towards Russian territory being defined by a Russian and British Commission in 1884 to 1885. The actual dependence of these states on Kabul is very slight. Districts of Afghan Turkestan, which is mostly desert, are in the possession of independent Hazaras. The main div divisions of Afghanistan proper are the basins of the rivers of Kabul and Herat and of Helmand, the highlands of Ghizni, and those on the eastern frontier. Afghan is a Persian name. The inhabitants style themselves Pashtani, plural of Pushtu. In the northeast, the alpine region of the Hindu Kush, a wild mountain isthmus cleft by numerous ravines and towering up into the climb of perpetual ice, unites the high masses of land in east with those in West Asia and presents formidable obstructions to communication between the territory of the Oxus and that of the Indies. There are three main passes leading through the highlands of Afghanistan to the Indus, the Kabir, the Karam, and the Bolan. The great differences of elevation and the unequal distribution of water 
render the climate very various. Very various. It actually says that. Very various. The date palm ornaments the oasis in the sandy desert to the southwest while in the deep sheltered valleys of the east. The cultivation of cotton and sugar thrives, but the high terraces of Kabul and Ghizni, 8,000 to 9,000 feet above the level of the sea, are exposed to, exposed to a severe winter with heavy falls of snow. The country is for the most part bare, rugged, and thinly peopled, only some valleys being cultivated. The east of Afghanistan is rich in minerals. Iron and copper especially are abundant. It looks like capital, capital is Kabul. The population of Afghanistan is far from homogeneous. The emir's subjects number about 5 million and are derived from the old Persian or Iranian stock. Of this total, 1,250,000 do not acknowledge fealty to the emir and often fight among themselves. Paktu or Pushtu, the language of the Afghans, is the Indo-Persian tongue. Of this name, the word Pathan is a corruption. Next come the Ta Tajiks, also Iranians, of whom there are about one million. The remainder is constituted of Hindkis of Hindu stock, Hazaris, Mongola Tartars, Katagons, and Kizilbashas, Turkey, Bolis, Iranian, Bodikshis, Kohistanis, and Siaposh of all Aryan. So all Aryan. The Afghans are Senate Mohini Mohammedans. The Tajiks are and the Hazaris speak Persian and are Shias. The Kizilbashas speak Turkey. The Hindkis speak Hindu, Stani, and are of Brahminical faith. The Afghans claim descent from King Saul and profess to be Bani Israel, and their physiognomy used to lead travelers to believe in a Jewish connection. The Afghans seem to have been in their present seats in the 13th century and for a century and a half were under Mongol rule. They first appeared as an independent power during the internal discords of Persia after the death of Nadir Shah. Ahmed Khan, of the race of Abdali, in 1747-1773, took advantage of these feuds and liberated Afghanistan from Persian rule. His success founded the Dorani dynasty. When his son Tamir died in 1793, a contest for the throne arose between the brothers Zaman Muhammad, I'm sorry, Muhammad, and Shah Suja, which ended in the success of Muhammad, who, however, was compelled to abjugate the throne in 1823 and died in 1829. The empire now fell into the hands of three brothers, of whom the oldest, Dost Muhammad, ruled at Kabul, the most important of the three divisions of the country where he had a revenue of $1,400,000 and an army of 18,000 men. So that was quite a bit of money back then. Still is today, but... Back then, yeah. <laughs> Still, the country was in an unsettled state, for Dost Muhammad was at war with Lahore in the east, and in the west, the Persians had invaded Herat. The governor-general of India, Lord Auckland, declared war against Afghanistan in 1838 on October 1st on the grounds that Dost Muhammad had unlawfully attacked the British ally, Ranjit Singh, that the military operations of the Afghans had betrayed a hostile purpose towards India, and that Shah Suja 
as the rightful heir to the Afghan throne, had placed himself under British protection. The British forces advanced through the Bolan Pass to Kandor, where Shah Zajah formally, formally claimed possession of the country. On July 21st, the army encamped before Ginzi Ghizni, and after some hard fighting, that fortress was taken. August 7th, Shah Sajjah, with the British forces, entered Kabul, and the conquest was regarded as complete. It was a gross mistake of the nature of the country and the character of the people. The land had been invaded, but was not conquered. Dost Muhammad had surrendered to the English, but his son, Akbar Khan, was actively engaged in a conspiracy of which Sir Alexander Burns and the envoy McNaughton were not aware until it was too late. At the beginning of winter, when help from India was impossible, the outbreak took place at Kabul, when Burns, McNaughton, and several British officers were slain. It was then agreed that the invaders should leave the country, while on the other hand, Akbar Khan and his confederates stipulated to provide an escort and make other necessary arrangements for the retreat. Depending on these promises, the British army left Kabul, 1842, on January 6th, in order to return by the Kabir Pass into India, but neither escort nor provisions were supplied by the Afghan leaders, and the severity of the season increased the misery of the retreat. The fanatical tribes of the districts harassed the flank and rear of the army and slew women and children as well as men. Uh, so see, some things never change. Uh, remember that as you uh, watch the news and then listen to this. And this is from 1909. It could be taken from now. Out of a host of 16,000, or if we include women and children, about 26,000, only one man, Dr. Bryden, escaped to carry the dismal tidings to General Sell, who still held his position at Jalalabad. Almost against his own will, the new governor-general, Lord Ellenborough, sent other forces into Afghanistan. General Knott marched from Kanda Kandahar to Ghizni, which was again taken after a slight resistance, and then proceeded to meet the army which under General Pollock had marched through the Kabir Pass to Kabul. Here the force of Akbar Khan was defeated and routed, routed, and the place was as far as impossible was as far as possible desolated. Desolated. The English officers and their ladies who had surrendered themselves as prisoners to Akbar Khan were restored to liberty, and soon afterwards the troops marched back to India. It was believed now that the Afghans were deprived of all power to come against the government of India, but this conclusion was too hasty, for in 1846 they formed an alliance with the Sikhs against the British, and the disturbances in the Punjab were not quelled within several sanguinary engagements. After the decisive battle of Gerajit in 1849, February 21st, the Sikhs were forsaken by the Afghans, and Dost Muhammad, with about 16,000 men, fled over the Indus. After this period, Dost Muhammad devoted his attention almost exclusively to the con consolidation of his dominions. He died 1863, appointing Shir Ali, one of his younger sons, as his heir. At first, the choice was acquiesced, acquiesced in by the 16 sons of Dost Muhammad, a large number of whom were governors of provinces, but disputes followed, which for many years kept Afghanistan in a state of anarchy. See Kabul. The British government of India had recognized Shir Ali at his ascension, and when in 1868, after his long struggle with his brothers, he obtained possession of Kabul and became de facto ruler of the greater part of Afghanistan, 
direct assistance was given him to secure the position for which he had fought. Sir John Lawrence, then Indian viceroy, sent him first two, afterwards four lakhs of rupees with 3,500 stand of arms. The next viceroy of India, Lord Mayo, met the emir and stayed at Mbala in March 1869. It was then explained to him that Her Majesty's government had no desire to interfere with the affairs of Afghanistan except to check civil war and by doing so to secure the peace and prosperity of the country. This intimation was accompanied by another larger, large present. In the same year, the emir conceived the idea of invading Bakhara and attacking the Russians, but was restrained by English advice. After 1869, Shir Ali endeavored to secure tranquility in Afghanistan. He was alive to the strife that had been occasioned by entrusting power to relatives, and he endeavored to replace the members of his family as much as possible by strangers. He also indicated very distinctly that he did not intend to select as his heir his son, Yakub, who at an early age had shown great ability to govern as governor of Herat, and had on many occasions given his father most valuable assistance, but a younger son, Abdullah. The claims of Yakub to share in the government of Afghanistan were ignored, and the result was that in 1870 he headed a rebellion against his father. But in the following year, a reconciliation was effected, effected through the intervention of England. In 1869, it was settled between England and Russia that all the provinces between the Oxus and the Hindu Kush should be treated as part of Afghanistan. In 1878, in consequence of new Russia diplomatic relations to Afghanistan, Shir Ali was invited to receive a British mission. The refusal of the Afghans to admit the mission which had advanced to the mouth of the Kabir Pass led after some fruitless negotiations to war. Hostilities began by the forcing of the entrance to the Kabir towards the end of November. There was some severe fighting in the passes, but the invaders were everywhere successful. Before the end of December, Jalalabad was occupied without resistance, and Kandahar a little later. Shir Ali, who had fled, died early 1879, and Yakub Khan proclaimed Amir made peace in May. It was provided that there should be a British resident at Kabul and that British Britain should defend Afghanistan against foreign aggression, the Amir receiving a subsidy. subsidy. The Karom, Pishan, and Sibi valleys became British territory, and the Kabir and Mikni passes came under British control. But in September of the same year, the revolted troops of the Amir surrounded and attacked the British residency. The resident, Sir Louis Cavanieri, and his staff, with almost the whole of their Indian guard, were slain after a desperate but bootless struggle. Measures were immediately adopted by the Indian government for punishing the outrage. The emir put himself under British protection and abdicated his sovereignty. And after some fighting, Kabul was occupied by English troops in the beginning of October. The war was maintained in a desolatory way and it was not till the middle of 1880 that peace negotiations were again fairly undertaken. Progress seemed to have been made when Abdurman, son of Dost Mohammed's eldest son, and long under Russian protection, was proclaimed Emir of Kabul. A few days afterwards, England was startled by the intelligence that an English force had met with a very severe defeat near Kandahar at the hands of Ayub Khan, Akub's brother. The disaster was avenged September 1st when General Roberts, marching from Kabul, routed and dispersed Ayub's army, and shortly thereafter the English troops began to with 
to be withdrawn from Afghanistan, leaving till 1881 a force in Kandahar and its neighborhood. In 1884, Great Britain ascended, acceded to the proposal of Russia in 1882 for the appointment of a joint commission to demar demarcate the boundary between Afghanistan and the territory of the Turkomans, and the commissioners began work on the line from Khawaja Sala on the Oxus to Sarex. Soon afterward, the Russia Soon afterward, Russia claimed that the Parapamesis was the true boundary of Herat and that the district of Badgiz lay outside Afghanistan territory. This claim was considered sufficiently grave to be submitted to the two governments for settlement. While negotiations were pending, the Russians seized the debatable land in 1885 and war with Great Britain seemed imminent. But the work of the demarcation was resumed 1887 and the points at issue were settled by mutual concessions. Russia obtaining the valleys of Penjde for nine or ten miles in the direction of the Herat, and the emir of Bakara waiving his claims to the pasture lands on the left bank of the Amu Daria, south of Kajasela. Both Russia and Great Britain continued explorations and surveys in Afghanistan and vicinity in 1890 and July 20th. The Russian official explorer announced that the British boundary in the Pamir was only three days' march from the Russian frontier at Karakul, the interval being occupied by Kyrgyz nomads. This proximity of frontiers was due to the seizure from the Chinese of the Pamir by the Khan of Kanshut Dangan, who subsequently, in return for an annual subsidy, accepted Indo-British vassalage. By restoring the fortifications of Shah-e-Dula Chodja and garrisoning them with Kashmir troops, the British secured control of the immense and fertile basin of the Rashkim Darya. The British, fearing a Russian invasion of India through Afghanistan, hastened to the completion of its great railroad in the latter country in 1891, and in December captured the fort of Nilt and another stronghold a short distance from it. Excuse me. A short distance from it, and I just lost my place, uh, and made a determined forward movement against the Hunza and Nagar tribesmen. The mountain states of Hunza and Nagar are on, are on a direct line from Gilgit and the Pamirs. The Great Pamir and Little Pamir are desolate tablelands bounded north by Russia, east by the Chinese province of Kashkaria, west by Afghanistan, and south by three Himalayan states under British protection. China claimed sovereign rights over part of the Pamirs. Russia established an advance outpost in Little Pamir, which the British asserted was a part of Afghanistan, pushed the construction of its 900 miles railroad toward the British Indian frontier, and claimed the greater part of the Pamirs on the terms of the Gort Shakov Clarendon Treaty in 1872. And the Emir of Afghanistan was believed to have renounced his claims to the Pamir steeps in consequence of the understanding with Russia. In 1892, in April, the Emir, by defeating the Khan of Jandol at Azmar, gained control of the Dwar Pass, one of the two passes leading through the Pamir country to India, the other being held by the British. In June, in an attempt to force the various independent tribes living on the borderland between India and Afghanistan to acknowledge him as their suzerain, the Emir brought himself brought upon himself a serious revolt, and his picked 
army was badly defeated by the Hazaras. The condition became so serious that in August the Indian government sent General Sir Frederick Roberts with a military force on a special mission to the emir, who had disregarded its injunction not to attempt to extend his influence westward. At first, the emir made a show of independence and notified General Sir Frederick that he could not receive him till after he had subjugated his enemies, but before the month closed, his enemies gave him several defeats and placed him in such extremity that he wrote to the Indian government for assistance in maintaining himself against the rebellious native tribes and the Russians. In September, the Russians evacuated the Pamirs, but began establishing a large permanent force at Murgab. Oh, and with that, <laughs> very long entry, um, is uh, entry number 17, which is thankfully short, and that is a field, a field, and it means to or in the field, and let me pause to get a drink of water, and word 18 is Afiam Kara Hazar, which is actually a city of Asia Minor in the Pasholic of Antolia, 170 miles east by north from Smyrna, near the Akar, partly on level ground and partly on a rising ground among rocks. Above the city towers an isolated rock of 300 to 400 feet in height, almost perceptuous in most sides and very steep on that by which alone it is accessible. The summit has in former times been fortified. The streets of the city are very narrow. Most of the houses are of stone and are well built. A great trade is carried on, the city being an Intrapot between Smyrna and Europe, on the one hand, and Armenia, the countries on the Euphrates, and Persia on the other. The products both of Europe and the East are to be found in its markets. A principal article of trade is opium, produced in the neighborhood, and from it the city derives its name. There are here and in the neighborhood manufacturers of felts, carpets, arms, and saddlery. The saddlery of Afiam Kara Hazar was formerly in demand throughout the whole Turkish Empire, but the demand for it has greatly fallen off. Population supposed about 20,000. And we have two more words before break, and they are both very short. So we have the 19th word is a float, and it means on the water, born upon the water and moving, not sinking. And the 20th word is a foot, and I love that word, a foot, which means on foot, in action, or motion. Okay, and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Our 21st word is a four, and it's in Old English. It means prior or superior to, sooner, before, in presence of, in time past, first, in front, a foregoing, going before, that precedes, a forehand in time gone by, in Old English, well provided, Aforementioned, mentioned before. Aforenamed, named before. Aforesaid, mentioned in a preceding part. Aforethought, premeditated as malice aforethought. Aforetime, in time past. Our 22nd word is a little difficult to uh, pronounce. Uh, it's a for shiori. A for shiroi. <laughs> for strong, it means for stronger reasons or more weighty considerations. Um, it's a cool word, it, I'm just not pronouncing it correctly, but to look at the spelling of that, go to theoaktreejourneys.com. Our next word is afragoli, or I'm sorry, afragola, 
which is a commune and town of Italy, six miles north-northeast of Naples. The manufacture of straw bonnets is carried on extensively. Population of commune, about 18,000. Our 24th word is a really good word as well, especially October coming up. It's afraid. It means filled with fear, terrified. I'm afraid of it. I fear or dread it much. I have little doubt it is true or has happened. Synonym of afraid? Fearful, timid, timorous, terrified, frightened. And our last word for today is the 25th word, and it is Afranius. Oh, actually, it's a name. <laughs> Afranius, Lucius, or Lucius Afranius. And he was a Latin comic poet and orator who lived about a century before Christ. Cicero and Quintilian speak highly of his plays, but only fragments of his works remain. Okay, and with that, uh, just a few little housekeeping items. Uh, don't forget our quote of the month. This is the last month for this, or the last day for this quote. Jim Quick's Limitless, one of my core beliefs is that human potential is one of the only infinite resources we have in the world. Most everything else is finite, but the human mind is the ultimate superpower. There is no limit to our creativity, imagination, determination, or ability to think, reason, or learn. Okay, and uh, thank you, Jim Quick, for that quote and for your book, Limitless. Okay, and uh, hopefully uh, tech support will get back to me soon on my Teespring store. I am getting tired of writing TBA because... These are really cool products, and they would make really good um, Christmas gifts. Um, and don't forget, the winner of the contest, the bonus word from last week, week's episode, will be announced during the October 3rd podcast. So the last day to submit is September 30th. So get that in, September 30th. I'll try to remember to send a reminder um, if you're signed up on my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. I will try to get that reminder sent out um, within the next couple of days because the 30th is coming by really quickly and I want you to be able to get your name in uh, to win a free copy of my grandfather's book. It is a really good book. Okay, And with that, I bid you adieu.